But this time the children can head out to Children's Church. Right, we are ready to start talking about our faith supplements and putting our faith into action. And I've got my favorite t-shirt on. I put the stud in Bible study. That's right. Get that Bible working out. We are ready. Well, as you know, so far this year, what we've done, what we've been doing, uh, first month we were talking about uh, being a new you in a new year. It was about what God is doing in you uh, to make you a different person, to, to make you the new creature, the new creation. The second month we talked about the power that God has placed within us and how that power comes uh, from from authority, it comes from capacity and energy and integrity, and it's when all of those things come together and God places that within us that we find the power of God manifest in us. And so last week then, having worked out of Second uh, Peter chapter 1, we went and we discussed what faith was, and we talked about how faith is aligning ourselves with God. It is about um, uh, coming alongside of him. It is about uh, an exchange that happens between two, uh, in a, in a, in a, um, an exchange that happens in a covenant, and then a merging that happens, and how faith is it's just more than belief. It isn't. You cannot believe someone and still put your faith in them. Faith, it, it, it is something that is on its own. The closest that we have to it uh, outside of God in our understanding is marriage, where we uh, completely uh, uh, come alongside of someone else. We exchange vows. We exchange trust. We exchange relationship. We exchange life. And then those lives come and merge together. That's really what it is that God is looking for. Now we're ready to look into what we were going to be talking about for what I wanted to talk about last month. Um, we're going back to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go to verse 5. So let's read this together. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is the section that immediately follows the section that we spent so much time talking about, which is the divine power of God that is placed within us. And up until this point, the past three months has all been, has all been about what God is doing through us, okay? what he is doing in us, what he affects in us. So that first month, God remakes us, recreates us. Second month, God places his power within us and expands our capacity and gives us the energy we need to do it. And last month, we recognized and talked about how faith originates in God. It comes from him. 
We cannot come unless we were first, unless he sent someone out to us. Faith originates in him. But here Peter says, now, now that God has done this work in you, now that you have been recreated, now it's time for you to get into the action. And so that's why we're talking about the faith supplements, what it is that we add, what it is that we bring to the table, to this thing called faith, this faith of Christ that has been placed within us. What is it now that we do in response to what he has done? And the first of those, as he mentions here in 2 Peter chapter 1, is virtue. So we're going to start with virtue. I have to be honest. I don't know if I've ever actually heard a sermon on virtue. The reason is, is because in our, in our culture, in our society, there's really only two ways that we talk about the word virtue. There's only two ways that the word virtue ever even comes up. One of them is in reference to chastity before marriage. Probably the most common one. If you talk to someone about having virtue, what that would typically mean is that they still have their virginity. She's maintained her virtue, he's maintained his virtue, hasn't surrendered their virtue, on and on and on. We usually connect those V words and that's what they mean. The other side is we use virtue as some reference for just some, just any good moral character that you happen to carry within you. So honesty is a virtue, right? Charity is a virtue. And we use the word virtue just synonymous with uh, good act. But that isn't what virtue is. And as it has been all year long, it seems like God is opening my eyes to see what it is that he's actually called us to and redefining some of these things for us. So the word virtue, there's another word that is synonymous for it. And so when I use the word virtue, I want you to have this word in your mind as well because they mean the same thing, although we don't use them the same. And that is the word valor. Virtue and valor are synonymous. They are synonyms of each other. They mean the same thing. That which is virtue is valor. That which is valor is virtuous. For whatever reason, it shouldn't be this way, but we tend to uh, make these uh, gender specific. We talk about women having virtue and men having valor, and that's fine. But the reality is, regardless of the word that you choose to have in your mind, they mean the same thing. I am called to have virtue. You are called to demonstrate valor. It is the first thing that we add to the faith that God has placed within us. God cannot make us valorious. That's a fun word. He could not make us virtuous. He has made us righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus that he has placed within us. But now it is up to me to decide whether I'm going to live by that righteousness he's placed within me whether I'm going to embrace the righteousness that he's placed within me. God has done his work, and now it is, it is up to me to determine what I am going to do with this tremendous power and gift that he has placed within me. So let's discuss what virtue and valor is, because I want us to understand. The first thing, virtue, valor, 
it is first and foremost a conformity to righteousness. Imagine for a moment Imagine for a moment if there was a dog in here and God changed that dog into a man that would be tremendous And then we see that dog going around and sniffing the edges of the pews and relieving himself on them and walking on all fours and barking If we saw that man continuing to act like a dog, though he no longer was a dog but a man, we would ask ourselves, what was the point in making the dog a man? What was the point in the transformation if the behavior of this creature has not altered? What is the point of being a human and not walking on two legs? No, if you want to act like a dog, you stay a dog. The point of being transferred and being changed is to become something different. And how absolutely foolish it is to see a Christian who has been transformed and changed by the power of God continue to act the way the world wants us to act when we have been changed from that creature into this new thing. The first reaction that we have to what God has done in our life is to embrace it, to accept it, to conform ourselves to it, to throw away the things of this world, to reject the worldliness, and to embrace what it is God has called us to do. We conform ourselves. In 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, John there says, he says this, he says, do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's that's a black and white statement. If we love the world, the love of God is not in us. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, says this. He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct. Since, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. The reason that you were remade. The reason we were changed from animals into people was to act like people. The reason we were transformed from the world into the likeness of Christ was for the purpose of conforming to that likeness being something different. Otherwise, this is all in vain and futile and meaningless, useless. 
He says, do not love anything in the world because if you do, the love of God is not in you. You cannot be divided. You have two masters, either the master of this world, money, or the master of the one beyond, God. The one master is leading the creation and the world to destruction. The other is leading to life. Which do you choose to conform yourself to? Because if you conform yourself to this world, then your outcome is the outcome that this world gets. Destruction. If you conform to the master of what is beyond, you get eternal life and what lies beyond. The first reaction to the gifts of God is for us to either accept the call or to reject that call. For us to conform into his likeness or not. Notice, notice in that first passage that we read in Peter, what did he say? He said, if you possess these qualities in ever increasing measure, you will never what? Fall. You will not fall. I want you to understand something here. You and I, before Christ could do nothing righteous, we were incapable of goodness. We were not able to come to God. We were not able to cleanse ourselves. It was an impossibility. And so God has come and through his son Jesus, he has given us all of these gifts, rebirth, renewal, restoration, revival. He has placed his power within us. He has expanded that power. He has taken the faith of Jesus. He has placed that faith in us. He has taken the righteousness of Jesus. He has placed that righteousness inside of us. But I want you to understand he does so, so that you are now able to be righteous. If you embrace the righteousness of Christ that he's placed within you and you allow yourself to conform to that righteousness, then you will be able to stand and be sinless. I do not have to sin today. Now, without Christ, there's no chance. There's no chance of righteousness, but with him and with his power, you better believe there is. Otherwise, what was the point? So I take this great gift, and I conform myself to it. I begin to change the way I think and the way that I act. And that leads us to the second part, because, because virtue and valor is not merely... It isn't merely the conformity of mind. It is also the courage to act. It's always, it, there's, in, in Revelation, there's a, there's a section where he's going through, in heaven there will be no thieves, no murderers, no idolaters, there will be none who practice witchcraft. And in that passage, one of the things that he says, no, there will be no one in heaven of this character quality is cowardice. There will be no cowards. It's an interesting thing. But cowardice is not a virtue. And it isn't virtuous. No man who ever ran out on the battlefield, squealed and ran away, was ever called a man of valor. He didn't have valor. It is one thing to profess a belief and a conviction and a commitment to some principle. 
but it means nothing if you do not have the courage to face the consequences of that conviction. That's what virtue and valor is. So in the old days, you had the mentality where the knights would come and they would pledge their swords. They would pledge their lives. They would pledge their houses and their families to the king. And when the king went to war, they went to war with him. And the only way you knew whether they had virtue or valor was whether or not their commitments carried them into the fight. Did they have the courage to meet the enemy? Did they have the courage to march under the banner? Did they have the courage to face hardship and difficulty? That's valor and virtue. Valor and virtue are extraordinary things. They are not normal. We as human beings are not by nature a virtuous people. We are not a valorious people. We are not ones who, who, who claim to believe things and then act on them. Most of the time we claim to believe whatever helps us get along better with those around us. And we'll take the easy way out in life. We do not want to rock the boat. We do not want to upset the cart. Whatever those phrases that we use are, we want to try to maintain the peace. And we convince ourselves that we're actually being good people in doing so. We will actually convince ourselves that by not starting trouble or being a part of trouble, that if we just stay back down, we just let things be, that that makes everything better. We deceive ourselves into thinking that, you know what, lying to someone is actually the good thing. Have you ever done that? Convinced yourself that lying to someone was a good thing? There's only one reason we lie, and that is to avoid the consequences of the truth. Right? My parents look at me and say, the cookie jar is empty. Nathan, did you eat some cookies? And I... I, in that moment, look, and I have to decide, am I going to tell the truth or am I going to lie? Am I going to face the consequence of my actions or am I going to deceive them and try to, and try to keep everything okay? I'm, gonna, I'm going to lie so that everything remains calm and civil. So I lie to them. Or my spouse says, do I look fat in this dress? And I say, hot dog, no way. If it's a lie, I do so. Why? Because I don't want, I say I don't want to hurt her feelings. The reason is, is because I want everything to stay okay. The problem is when I lie, I become a slave to that lie, right? The web we weave, it, it traps us, it grabs us. It actually, uh, uh, we have to constantly lie more with every lie to try to cover it up. And eventually it all comes out anyway. Virtue looks and says, I mean, we tell the story of the the George Washington, right? George, did you cut down the cherry tree? Father, I cannot tell a lie. And we all know that's a false story, but that's the point of the story, is that he was showing virtue. I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down the tree. It is better to face the consequences of your actions. That's what virtue is. To stand for what you know is right. So in Hebrews 13.6, Paul writes, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. 
I will stand with courage. Regardless of the consequences. Regardless of what happens. Or in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, I love this one. I hear this one echo in my head sometimes. He says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. What is he saying? He's saying that the first response and reaction to this faith that we have is to have the courage to act. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Have a conviction and stand by it. The last thing that virtue and valor is, is worthiness and excellence. Worthiness and excellence. I want to read two scriptures real quick. Paul there in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eagerly to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember how we talked about that uh, in faith, one of the things is faith is where you, uh, when you place your faith in someone else, you expect them to be worthy of that faith. So when the faith of Christ has been placed within us, when God hands us responsibility, when he hands us this call to righteousness, he expects and desires for us to be worthy. That's why virtue is the first response to faith. That we decide, I'm going to stand and be worthy of your calling. I, my favorite passage, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I sit there, uh, there's the passage, Jesus says it a couple of different, uh, different times and then adds stuff to it, but he, but he uses this phrase. He says, he says, the master will say to the servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. A couple of different places. I want you to, oh man, I want want more than anything. I want to stand at the judgment. I want to stand. The only words I want to hear from God, the first words I hear from him, I want to be those words. Him to look at me and say, well done. I want to live worthy of the call. Do you want to be worthy of the gift that he's placed within you? Because by the power of the Spirit in you, you can be. You couldn't on your own, but by his power, you most certainly can. I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful one. But he also calls us to be excellent. So in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it says this. Paul says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this grace also. And he's talking about the grace of giving. The point that he makes here is we are supposed to do things to the best of our ability. So let me define what excellence is. Excellence is not doing the best possible. I go on YouTube, I have seen preachers that are far better than I could ever be. Far better than I am. Sometimes you get the little green bug of envy that comes in there. And you think, why, why can't I do that? I want to reach that potential. Excellence is not the call to be the best there ever has been. Excellence is the call to be the best that you can be. To reach your fullest potential. I am excellent in the eyes of God when I give everything I have to what he's called me to. And if other people find it unworthy, it doesn't matter. It is a fragrant and acceptable offering to God. You'll have sometimes Michelle or myself or, or uh, someone else will come up and, and say, you know what, we need... We would like to see some people get involved in teaching with the kids, teaching in Sunday school, teaching even in the nursery. And I know that in some people's minds, sometimes the Lord speaks and says, I want you to be one of those people. But we get in our head, we get in our head this, this thought that comes in there that says, well, but you know what, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not uh, uh, smart enough or trained enough. Um, I, I'm not capable enough of, of doing this. There are people far better than me who could teach uh, a better class than I could. Do not fall into the lie. If God calls you to serve, he does not call you to be someone else. He calls you to be the best you you can be. He doesn't want us all the same. If you hear God calling you to service, never be afraid that what you have to offer is unacceptable as long as you are doing it to the fullest of your potential. I will not be held to the fullest of someone else's potential. I will be held to the fullest of mine. But God, he wants excellence. He wants the best that you have. I go and I, I, I go up to my son. I've got three, so you figure out whichever one. I don't care. I go up to him and I say, boy, I need you to go clean your bathroom. It's bad. True story. Happens a lot. Inevitably, 10 minutes will pass. He will obediently go in and begin to work. And 10 minutes later, I hear the TV come on. Now, I know that there's no way I could have cleaned the bathroom in 10 minutes. So I step outside and I go and I say, boy. I say his name, but whatever. I said, what are you doing? Well, I cleaned the bathroom. 
Did you clean it to my standard? That's, that, that's how I say it. Have you ever said that to your kids? Did you clean it to my standard? I'm not interested in your standard. Yes, I did. Go look. I don't know why he ever says that. Go look. I go look. And I come out going, no, we are miscommunicating what the expectations here are. And I will go, I will shut off the television, I will walk him back in, and I will show him all the things that are not acceptable. And I will tell him, I now expect you to do the same. I expect you to do your best. Do not, do not be a person who in your faith has received this tremendous and great gift from God and you just do it half-heartedly. You give God the leftover of your day. You give him the leftover of your time. You give him the leftover of your resources. You give him the leftover of your family. Mm -mm. Do not do that. Add to the faith virtue, worthiness, excellence. Funny thing is, depending on which kid I send to clean in the bathroom, my expectations are different. My expectations are different based on their capability. God tells us that the one who has been faithful in little will be faithful in much. Virtue. A willingness to leave behind the standard of the world, to reject it. Look, I'm going to, here, Titus, chapter 2. This is, this is an entire passage right here on virtue and valor and the call to it. Listen to this. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared so that you would leave behind the ways of the world as they once were, walking in them, and you renew and you conform your actions to that which Christ has called us, and you stand up with the courage to do it. Regardless of what people around us think, we will stand based on the truth and the truth alone. And we will do it to the best of our ability. And that's all right there in Titus, isn't it? Renouncing, accepting, acting, and doing it with excellence. A people zealous for good works. This is the beginning of our response to the faith that has been placed within us. It's the beginning point. For some of us, myself, 
we sang that song, right? We sang the song. We're actually going to sing it again. But we sang that song, and the first words for it were, were um, can't go back to, to the beginning. Um, we can't go back to what's been. We can only respond right now. And so right now, I'm going to, because I need to, and I'm going to invite you to do this. What we're going to do is I'm going to bow, and I'm not, this is an invitation that is going to be for all of us. If you are, every, I'm going to ask everyone bow out of respect for the person next to you. I'm going to say something. If you agree, you say it where you are to God. If you agree. If you don't want to participate, just sit quietly. But if you agree with what I say, say it after. I will say it, then you say it. Would you bow? Father, I reject this world. I reject greed. I reject lust. I reject hatred. I reject anger. I reject complacency. I reject guilt and shame. I reject feelings of worthlessness. I reject bitterness. I reject gossip. I reject division. I reject the enemy. And Lord, I reject my will. I want you, Lord. I want to know you. I want to please you. I want to honor you. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be worthy of you. I want to be like you. I want to be conformed to you. I want to see what you see. Say what you say. Do what you do. And love what you love. I want you to be proud of me. Seize me for your will. Come and fill me with your glory. Amen.